Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. I was telling Pastor Rusty the last two or three years, the Miss Universe has been from the Philippines. That's why every single missionary that ever came to work with me found a wife. (laughs) So it became known, if you're called to missions and need a good wife, go work with Pastor Paul, because he's batting 100%. (laughs) And in fact, it's funny, I was doing a conference in Australia. I was there last year, and Sister Shadi went with me. And they have a Filipino on staff of the church in Melbourne. And, and when he picked us up at the airport, he went, oh, no. I said, what's wrong? He goes, oh, man, i got to make some quick phone calls. I said, why? I said, your wife's an American. I went, yeah, six foot tall, blonde. Yeah, she's definitely an American. You don't find many six foot tall, blonde Filipinos. In fact, you don't find any. And uh, he goes, oh, no. I said, what's, tell me. He goes, I told everybody you were married to a Filipino. I said, "Would you been? Why did you tell him that? I've been telling him that for years. I mean, you've been in the Philippines over forty years. I figured it had to be a." I said, "You know, God can keep you there, not just because you marry a woman from the nation. You know, the will of God." Because I just figured you married a Filipino and you had been there for over forty years. I said, "Well, brother, you better fix this before I start showing up. Who's that strange woman pastors with?" So, uh, yes, it's good to be here. And I have something in my heart I want to share with you, and, but also being Mission Sunday, I want to try to mix the two together, which can turn out really well or disastrous. <laughs> and I promise to, well, no, I don't promise anything. I'm just going to go for it. And uh, first of all, as far as Missions Sunday, I want to thank you as someone who has spent... Uh, over 42 years, and for the different missionaries that you are connected with in these different nations. When you connect with uh, missionaries that are in different nations, and I know this church, and I know how you do it, um, you breathe life into people. You add something to their life. Uh, one of the reasons a lot of missionaries don't stay and they don't make it is because they've, they've gained some supporters, but they haven't developed relationships. And some people are interested in what you do, and they just kind of like what you do, but they don't really know anything about you. And you don't just support a work, you are, you are connected to a family. And if the person is married, or if they have children, then besides ministry, they have life. And the greatest challenge is doing ministry and doing life. And, uh, you know, the devils in the different nations of the world don't fight fair. And the most important thing uh, that they want to destroy is not your ministry, it's your family, it's your marriage. And if they can destroy your marriage and your family, then your ministry is just going to fall apart. And one of the number one reasons a lot of people leave the field is because the wife just goes, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's hard. Different nation, different culture, different language. And depending where you're at, circumstances, the places that you're living in is not what you're used to, away from friends and family into a new culture. And if you don't have people that are there for you, when you go through the challenges, you go through the hurts, the disappointments, the loneliness and whatever, if you don't have that support group, you don't make it. Or you fall into the missionary trap of performance. And you just make sure that you send lots of good pictures, you tell lots of good stories, and you work yourself to death and you perform to make sure you feel worthy of the money that people are supporting you. And so in the midst of your performance, you forget about your priorities, which number one is not performing in ministry, but taking care of your wife and your sons or your daughters that you may have. And you don't give the best that you have to the people of that nation and neglect the people that you really want to see in your future, which would be your family. Whether you're missionary or not, you need to make sure you're giving the best that you have to the people you want to see in your future. That should be your family. I want my wife to be in my future. I want my sons and 
and my daughter to be in my future. So I can't give them my leftovers. And that's what happens with a lot of families is the missionary gets into that performance because he has to make sure that he's impressing people with the stories and making sure they continue to support them because he has a family and his family is growing. And then all, all money that goes to missions is not spiritual, which means it doesn't just build Bible schools, buy Bibles, and do evangelistic crusades. It, 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 it feeds the family. And if your wife is pregnant, she goes to the hospital, pays for the birth of children. It helps to educate children. It buys clothes. Oh, no, not my money. My money doesn't buy clothes. My money doesn't buy milk or cereal. My money just buys Bibles. Well, no, that's not true. You, if, if there's no family, if there's no man, there's no ministry. And if you want to change nations, people have to stay there long enough to learn enough and through their character, their faithfulness, and what they are able to do in the nation, then they can put down roots and grow some, and sow some seeds and plant some trees that are going to last for the generations to come. So in other words, you grow something that's going to outlive your life. And, but that takes relationships. That takes sowing into people. And I know what kind of church this is, so I want to commend you, and I want to thank you for the way that you love, the way that you give, the way you support. Uh, Shadi and I, I mean, you guys uh, have been one of the newest additions and in, in friendships that really have been a great blessing to Shadi and I. Um, very dear friend of mine, Bill Wilson, said this one time. He said, you know, if you ever find a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you know one thing. He didn't get there by himself. You know, he could fall off by himself, but he didn't get up there. You can, you, you can fall from a lot of things all, without any help. But to get to where you are, it's always going to be the relationships that you have. And so when it comes to missions, it's even more important when you go to different nations of the world. You're embracing the family. You're embracing their calling and their purpose that really brings change to nations. And I can... And I'm not trying to sound arrogant or pat myself on the back, but I have seen the nation of the Philippines change. And I know that we have a part in that. I know we have a part in writing the Christian history of that nation. Amen. And we're going to continue to do that. You know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, not just he, for, he so loved America. He so loved the world. I mean, why do we have the gospel in this nation? Missionaries brought it here. Jesus wasn't born in Tulsa. And, uh, you know... Missionaries brought the gospel to this nation. You know, what makes America great? I thank God for the Constitution, but what makes America great is not our Constitution. What makes America great is the principles behind the Constitution and a love for God in this nation. That's what made this nation great. And that's why we continue to contend for that, uh, for what God wants to do. Um, as Pastor Rusty was finishing up, I put a, if you could put up John 16, 33 in the Amplified Classic, I just feel impressed to share this with you real quick. Nothing to do with my message, but everything to do with what Rusty was sharing at the end. John 16, 33 in the Amplified Classic. I have told you these things so that in me, say in me. In me. Say that again, say in me. in me. Who's the me? Me is Jesus. Jesus is talking. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have Perfect peace in the world. Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, distress, <laughs> and suffering. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? Yeah. Uh, you will have tribulation, distress, suffering. No, this is Amplified. Uh, amplified Classic. You don't have that? There you go. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. How many you know you lose your peace, you lose your confidence? Yeah. You lose your peace, you lose your confidence. You lost your confidence, your joy is shot. Right? So you have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you will have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. Come on now. Anybody there? Yeah, yeah. Don't look at the person next to you just in case they happen to be the source. Okay. <laughs> Because if you're married, a lot of times 
That's, and if you have kids, teenagers, help us, Jesus. Yeah. In the world, you have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. In other words, don't draw back. I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of power to harm you and conquered it for you. But it all goes back to the beginning. Where does he say your peace was? If he said you're going to have these things, guess what? You're going to, in life, you have these challenges. But your peace is where? Your peace is not when that person changes, you get your peace back. So peace is there because you go through these things. Stop waiting to see the change before you grab hold of your peace. You're praying for that person. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be your son. It could be a daughter. It could be your job. Your peace is not dependent on you seeing the change because your peace is not in the person or the circumstance. It's in Jesus. It goes back to what Pastor Rusty was saying. You got to keep your eyes on him. Well, you know, when, when that changes, I'll get better. No, 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 no. My peace is in him. My peace is not when I see or when I hear. My peace is in him. And I need to guard that. You need to guard your peace. And peace guards your heart. Why do you need to guard your peace? The older I get, the, the, the more I fight to guard my peace and my joy. I'm not going to allow people to take it from me. I'm not going to allow the frustrations and disappointments or all these other things to steal that because if I lose my peace and I lose my joy, that's just it. And, and so I guard that more than anything. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That is the number one most important question any person will ever answer in life right there. Number one question, the most important question you will ever answer in life right there is who do you say that he is? Not your mom, not your dad, not your grandpa. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, I, I want to give you something uh, it says that he came into Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi, I have some pictures here, and, and I want to help give you some insight into this. Caesarea Philippi, this wall here is where everybody would come to offer sacrifices. In this wall, in this cliff here, you had little, little grottos that are carved out. Go to the next picture. And, and on this, the whole face of the edge of this mountain, you will find every Roman, Greek, and false god, hundreds of them. You can go there, and there are just hundreds of these little places where these gods were statues and everything. So people would come here and offer sacrifice. Now, uh, go to another picture. Over to the left, there's a big cave there. Or maybe go to the first picture. Maybe you see the cave better. Before an earthquake happened, there, and down in front of this, there, there's a stream and there's pools of water. And, and it would flow right into that cave. The name, what they called that cave in this area was the gates of hell. On the front of this face here was every false god that was worshipped at that time from the Greeks, the Romans, gods from all over the world. So Jesus brings his disciples to this place and asks them, in front of all of these, who am I? Makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. When he says, who do you say I am? in the front of all these other faults that, that everybody, and they would throw sacrifices into this cave. They would bring animals, and because the, the stream would flow into that, they would throw a sacrifice, and if it disappeared, it was accepted. So Jesus, in front of all these false gods, says, who do you say that I am? Sometimes just getting a visual like that, you're going, oh, 
So what's he doing? He's comparing, he's making a stand, them? And see, really, this is a great missions message. Because he's standing in front of the false gods, basically me versus the gods and the religions of the world. Well, some say this and some say that. But who do you say that I am? Not others, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You know, the first thing Jesus said after Peter said that is blessed. Do you realize the beginning of the blessings of God comes when you get a revelation of who Jesus is? That's the beginning of the blessings of God that come in your life. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter, you didn't get this from anybody else. Nobody told you this, and, and Peter, we know you're not that smart, but you, you have a revelation. What's revelation? It is a revealing to see and know and become aware of something you've not seen, known, or been aware of before. Flesh and blood. You didn't get this from man. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I also say to you, now after he said this, and I also say to you, when you say the word and, what does that mean? See, there's more. It means he's not done. So if you're talking and you go and, then there's more to come. He says, and I also say to you that Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, in these six verses that Jesus is going through that I'm going to share with you, he goes from one point to another so quick, I think he just left them dizzy. He starts with a question, who do you say that I am, in front of all these false gods, basically confronting who they are versus who he is. And Peter gets his revelation, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. I'm sure the rest of the disciples, we, you know, we're not, most people don't even talk about what they're just going. I mean, Peter just, Peter's saying, you're the Messiah. And all of a sudden, I'm sure they're just going, whoa, that's pretty heavy, bro. And then when Jesus confirmed it, they're going, whoa. Yeah, this, this is not a casual conversation. Peter just comes right out and said, you're the one. You're not just rabbi. You're not just a good teacher. You're not just a miracle worker. You're the one the prophets have been talking about. You're the Messiah. And when Jesus confirms it, the rest of them are probably going, whoa, this is pretty heavy here. Blessed are you. My Father's revealed this to you in heaven. But I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. Now, Peter's not the foundation of the church. The revelation of who Jesus is is the foundation of the church. I will build my church. Well, when he says, and I also say to you, see, understand, Peter has a revelation. Genuine revelation that brings liberty and freedom into your life is not just knowing who Jesus is to you. It's knowing who you are to him. And you've got to get both sides. Because a lot of people have a revelation of who Jesus is to them, but you're still working on the value of who you are to him. When you get that, let me tell you, dignity, esteem, and value gets restored into your life. Lies, deception, manipulation, and intimidation gets broken off your life. When you not just understand who he is to you, but when you understand who you are to him, now that's what brings freedom. That's what brings value into your life. That's where the lies of the devil, the manipulation, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, that kind of stuff begins to fall off and lose its hold on you, not just because you know who he is to you, but now you know who you is to him. Some of you need to get a hold of That's worth right there, you coming already. We could close and we'd be done. That's good enough right there. You could go home, but don't. We're not done. <laughs> See, Revelation has two sides. The, the, the strength of my relationship with Pastor Rusty and Leah, is not just me knowing who, or, or Rusty knowing who I am to him, but who he is to me. The strength of your marriage is when you know who you really are to one another. If it's one way, that's why you are probably coming for counseling. Because you haven't made it clear, this is who you are to me, or you have made it clear, and you're coming up a little bit short. So revelation, what does revelation do? Revelation brings you into relationship. When you understand who Jesus is, you enter into a relationship with him. 
two things that are the strength of your life are your revelations and your relationships. The revelation of who you have, what, what your pastor's been teaching you concerning the knowledge of the word. Your revelation of those things, of those, of those principles of the word, those truths of the word, those are foundational for you to handle anything in life that you need to walk through. It's the basis of your faith. But through the revelation of who Jesus is, you enter into a relationship with him. Now, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my... It's the first time the word church has ever been used in the New Testament. He's in front of all of these false gods, and he brings up the word church. It's not a religious term. It's a community of, 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 of drawing together of people. The ecclesia, the church, the, this community of believers says, I'm going to build this assembly. I'm going to bring this body together. How does he bring them together? Well, through a revelation of who he is to them, he's going to build not just this one-on-one, but everybody that has this revelation, now they're going to come into a relationship with him. And it's not just going to be singular, it's going to be corporate. I will build my church. He says, in the gates of hell, everything that's wrong, false, destructive, it will not prevail. And he's saying this in front of all of these false gods. The gates of hell, every false sacrifice, false worship, false impression and manipulation of man, none of that's going to prevail because what I'm going to build is going to be greater and stronger He goes from who do you say that I am to, and I will build my church. That's pretty quick. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Go ahead, put the verse up there. Not where Matthew. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Verse 19. He doesn't stop there. And, what does and mean? Oh, come on, say, say, there's more. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he brings them together and he starts with, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And this fast, he goes, now, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Peter just got a revelation that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. This is not no ordinary man. This is not just Mary's little boy. I'm sure the disciples' heads are spinning from the first thing Peter said. Now, Jesus is talking He's talking about church, this community, this body of believers that he's going to bring together. And then he says, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Wait, wait, we're just trying to swallow who Peter just said you were. And now you're talking about giving us the keys of the kingdom. Sometimes we take so for granted what's being said. We don't understand the spiritual significance and how fast it's happening. These guys' hair is probably blowing in the breeze. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you declare to be ungodly and unjust and unrighteous, I want you to stand and stop it. And whatever the will of heaven is on earth, I want you to bring it to pass into the earth. Whatever the will of heaven is, I want it done on the earth and I'm going to give you the power and the authority and the keys to either lock it up, stop it, or loose it and let it go. This is five verses after Who do people say that I am? I'm sure they're just sitting there going. You know what the purpose of missions is? Bring heaven into the earth all over the world. And when you have a revelation, you come into a relationship. Revelation always brings you into relationship. Rusty and I have a a relationship because God spoke to him, and he initiated it. When I first heard him at Mark's, I thought, this one wild Texas dude here. He got up there, and I went, wow. I love watching people minister in their gifts and flow, and 
and appreciating their gifts because what most of my friends have, I don't. And I've had to learn to be comfortable in that because they can do things like, man, I wish I could do that. I just, that is so good. And I love, and you have to get, be careful. You can learn from one another, be encouraged by one another, and, and they can make you better, but you can't be them. You can just be you, and you've got to get comfortable in your own skin. But the Spirit of God spoke to your pastor. He initiated the whole thing towards Shadi and I. Because, see, revelation is for you to see and hear something you have not previously seen and heard. It gives you a knowing of the intention and the purpose of God. So when you follow up on that revelation, it leads you into relationship. You know what the purpose of relationships is? Purpose. It's revelation, relationship, purpose. This is who Jesus is, revelation. You come into relationship with him. He's building his church. And what is the purpose of the church? Bring heaven into the earth. If you get a hold of revelation, relationships, and purpose, your life will be full. Amen. Your revelation of the words, the foundation of your faith, it's the strength of your adversity and challenge. Your relationships are a strength in your life where you walk through challenge and help carry out purpose. Um, Bible says, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Relationship. As iron sharpens iron, so man is sharpened by the countenance of his friends. Relationships. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. Relationships. A friend loves at all time. A brother's born for adversity. Relationships. When Shadi and I over the years hit some of the hardest times in our life, you know what helped pull us through? A revelation of God's word in our lives and the relationships that God added to us. When, when we went to the doctor 37 years ago, Shadi was pregnant. She was bleeding. She goes in for an ultrasound, and they said, I'm sorry, but uh, she said, we're pregnant. She said, but you're, you're, uh, you're losing the baby. And then the nurse doing it says, whoa, wait, 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 wait. You have twins. Uh, you're losing one, and we don't think you're going to keep the other one. Shoddy's in tears. I walked out of the office. I said, I'll be right back. I walked right out of the office. I called Mark and Janet. I said, Shoddy's in there. She's bleeding. They're telling us that she's lost one baby. We just found out we had twins. I don't want to lose this one. I said, I need you to pray. When people call you and say, I need you to pray, most people say, yes, I will. And they, they intend to. But sometimes they get busy and forget. And, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many times people have asked you to pray and you said, yes, I will, and, and you totally forgotten. And a, a week or so later, they call you up and say, man, I really want to thank you for praying. And God answered, and he did this and did that. And you're going, oh, man, I really, I for totally forgot. You don't go, oh, bro, I'm sorry. I forgot to pray for you. You go, hey, you're welcome. <laughs> your faith wasn't involved at all. You forgot. Come on, anybody ever forget to pray for somebody that said, come on, my hand's up. Go ahead. Let the spirit of truth, is, the spirit of the Lord is here. He's the spirit of truth. So that's why when, when I tell someone, yeah, I'll pray for him, I usually do it right then. You know why? So I don't forget. I get in agreement with them. If they say, you know, I really need you to pray about, okay, let's do that right now. Why? Because I want to agree with them and I don't want to forget. I struggle with ADD. You know what that is? Never mind. And so you, you, you pray. You agree with them. So I, got, I called Mark and Jenna, and, and they prayed. We went back in, and, and the doctor came in and got mad at the nurse because she gave us too much information. And, uh, but I have a 37-year-old son today. His name is Ryan because, you know, he stayed in there. Of course, we always, you know, joke with him and said, I don't know why you kicked your twin out. You know, he's, and, uh, but some of the worst times in my life, 
I've called up friends. Man, I, I, I need some prayer. See, I, if two or more shall agree on earth. Yes, you, if you're married, thank God for that. But sometimes if it's not your wife, who's the other part of the two? Who's part of your more? It didn't just say if two or more. Do you have a more in your life? Then when it's all hitting the fan, you have something that can stand with you, especially if the mess is something you created through being stupid. And you have friends that, no, oh man, you kind of blew it, but you know what? We love you. We'll stand with you. We'll see you through. Well, you know, I'm sorry, man, but if you're just going to be dumb, you know, you made your bed sleep in it. That's not a verse in the Bible. I mean, sowing and reaping and yeah, but, but sometimes, you know, where, where's the mercy? Where, where's the friend that sticks closer than a brother? That doesn't mean he's sticking close because you're so good. Sometimes you need him close because you're a little goofy and I'm going to see you through. <laughs> That's the kind of friends I need. I don't need friends because I'm perfect and I always get it right. I don't. That's what a real friend is. He's standing beside you when everybody else has walked out. And he can tell you straight to your face, man, you got to straighten up. you you got to stop this. You're just being dumb right now. I mean, I love you, but you speak the truth in love. Why? Because you, you put yourself on the line to help save them. Too many other people want to protect themselves and let you drown. You need friends that will stand with you. They'll stay with you and pray you through. Or at times a shoddy, I mean... We've been through some ugly stuff. When my dad passes, there's a couple books I want to write because uh, I don't want to do anything that anybody would think was derogatory to my dad. But, but uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of love and tenderness in the family. And so I had to re- learn some things once I got married. But... Uh, I want to write two books. It's a part one and a part two. The first one is called God Help Me, I've Been an Angry Man. Yeah. Second one is God Help Me, My Wife Doesn't Like Me Anymore. <laughs> See, nobody laughs at the title of the first one, but you always, you always laugh at the second one. Because it's true. Maybe you've been there. I don't know. But what do you do when you're in that kind of situation and you're hurting and you're wounded and you're sad and you gotta, you don't know how to get out of this and you need help, but you can't really ask for help because it makes you look bad because you have an image to protect. Well, listen, private pain will turn into a public death if you don't deal with it. So you're going to have to humble yourself to somebody. You know anybody that you trust enough to humble yourself to, to show an ugly side? Because you have revelation that's brought you into real, genuine relationships. Because those relationships will allow you to fulfill a divine purpose in your life. If not for the relationships that I've had in my life, Shadi and I, we wouldn't have lasted. Come on, we're we're in year 43 now. That's, that's rare for missionaries. really is. And I attribute that to our revelation, a wife that loves God so much more than she loves me, which is okay, it's good. It's, it's kept her there. <laughs> oh, if you only knew. And... And friends, they never gave up on us, loved us. They were there for us so we could fulfill a purpose. That's why when he said, I'll build my church, see, revelation brings you into this body so you can build godly relationships. Forsake not the assembling together the saints, as is the habit of some. But all the more, you know, as you see the day approaching, as the days are coming into. See, that's why this whole COVID thing was so demonic in what it did to the church, to 
isolate and separate and, 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 and break down the communication and, and this whole social distancing and, and separating and you can't get too close together and, you know, don't, uh, I can't hug you and I don't want to touch you. I don't even want to be within six feet of you. you. might get your, you know, breathe on me or something. And, and it brought a fear. It brought a separation. And it's just totally opposite of what God is wanting to do in the church and yeah. building relationships and knitting people together. We do life together. Why? Because out of the revelation of who he is, who we are, and then who we are collectively as a church, we have a purpose. And what is that purpose? To bring heaven into the earth to bring it into the nations of the world. That's what missions is all about. So there has to be relationships with people in the other parts of the world so we can bring heaven into these nations of the world. And these nations of the world are changing. The Philippines, let me tell you, 43 years later is a different nation. We have... I have to be careful where I go here. Seeing and knowing... Getting a revelation and then connecting with people in relationship will connect you to God's will and his plan and his purpose and you will begin to see beyond where you presently are no more than you presently know for what God is wanting to do in the future. And the relationships that he adds to your life, it makes the purpose possible because you're not going to do it alone, because nobody has it all. We went to the Philippines in 1980. Four months after we arrived, the man that we went to work with, his name was Brother Ernie Reb, and he had a couple come in to speak to his missionaries, and his missionaries were of a certain persuasion of a denomination that hated Brother Hagin. I didn't know that when I went to work with this man. These people spread lies and rumors about me all over the Philippines, anywhere they were, of the ministry I was in. So on certain islands, no churches, no pastors wanted anything to do with me because of what these people had said. Well, Brother Ernie invited this couple to come in to preach to all of his missionaries. Guess who he invited to come in and preach to his missionaries? Mark and Janet Brzee. They preached one message. It was, it was a, supposed to be a three-day meeting with all the missionaries. After the first meeting in, in the morning, the missionaries walked up to Brother Reb and said, are, are these the people that are speaking? Yeah. They all walked out and left. They all left. Said, we're not going to be here and subject ourselves to that kind of teaching and these people. This, they're, they're talking to the guy that's ahead of this entire ministry, and all the missionaries walked out. Me and Shadi were there, and I'm going, man, we're loving this. <laughs> so here's Mark and Janet, who we did not know. Everybody's gone. We're there. We're loving it. So for the next week, all day long, that's all we did was spend time with Mark and Janet. That relationship is 42 years old now. The next week, Kenneth Copeland was doing his first meeting in the Philippines in a large coliseum. Because I worked with Brother Reb, and he knew Pastor Sumrall, uh, who helped bring in Kenneth Copeland to the meeting, because Brother Reb was the very first pastor that took over the church when Dr. Sumrall left the Philippines. It's the guy that I went to work with. And so David got us seats on the second row there, and I thought, man... With everything I've been through the last three months in the Philippines, sickness and disease, and Shadi was so sick, uh, the water system of, of the town that we lived in was poisoned. Somebody fell into a, a stream and drowned, and their body got stuck in the pipe that fed the city water system. 27 people died from poisoning from the water. Shadi drank some of it somewhere, because we had a filter on our house, but I don't know where she got it, but probably ice because, you know, water, you make ice. And Shadi had bad stomach and infection in her for three and a half months. Three and a half months. And so we went to Manila. She was sick. She was off and on, and, and it was not good. And so, man, we, we need to get into the presence of God. We've been rejected. We've been slandered. I'd, I had food poisoning, and I'm not even going to talk about what I ate. 
And I remember one day, Shadi kneeling beside the bed and she praying, God, don't let him die. God, don't let him die. We've only been there two and a half months. We go to Manila. Man, we needed to hear some faith. Fellowshipping with Mark and Janet, we, we needed everybody else. Nobody liked us, lied about us. So, man, we soaked up that relationship, that fellowship with them. Then we went to this meeting with uh, Kenneth Copeland. And we're sitting on the second row. And he says, well, before I... Uh, get started. I just want you to turn around and shake hands with somebody. And, and I had met a doctor from, doc, from David. He said, listen, this doctor wants to go up north into Ifagao in the mountains up there. Uh, there's people up there that are really, they're just wide open. And I don't know anybody who's willing to go up there. I thought, I'll go. I mean, this is up where headhunters just, they stopped that only three or four years before we went up there. I mean, guys are wearing G-strings and, you know, and, and, uh, I'll go. Um, you know, first year, I'm, I'll go anywhere. Uh, still kind of like that. I said, I'll go. So David said, I, I got somebody that'll take you up there and show you. There's a doctor up there that is opening up a clinic, and he'll take you up into the mountains and near the virgin forest and stuff like that. And said, But before we go, we were going to go to Copeland's meetings for a couple of nights. So we're sitting there, and Copeland says, turn around and just introduce yourself to the person behind you. So guy in front of me, well, he was actually over here, turns around uh, to the doctor who's sitting next to me, and he turns around and goes, hi, I'm Pastor Sam Carr from Shreveport, Louisiana. And the guy sitting next to me says, hi, I'm Dr. Jim May from Shreveport, Louisiana. They were both shocked. <laughs> so they met each other. That's how I met Pastor Sam. I've known Sam 42 years. Those two men been a part of my life for 42 years. Why? Well, because the revelation of being where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do, he'll bring you into relationships with people that are going to be a part of your life. They've been a part of my life. Through those relationships, I met your pastor. I was in a meeting one time in, in a conference. I heard a man speak. His name was Bill Wilson. And I found out that he was coming to the Philippines. And I said, you come to the Philippines, I want you to come to our church. And he didn't know who I was. So it was two or three weeks later after, this was in Hawaii, he showed up in the Philippines, and the person who sponsored him to come in just dropped him. Dropped all responsibility. All of his stuff was stuck in, in um, customs. He couldn't get it out, and, and he didn't know what he was going to do. And so we said, you know what, let's help him. And we need to sow a seed. We need to help him get all this stuff out. He was doing uh, teaching uh, children's ministry, how to reach kids on the streets. And had a big meeting and didn't know what to do. So we stepped up. Why? Because the Spirit of God said, he's supposed to be a part of your life. You're supposed to be a part of his life. See, relationships two ways. It's not, you're just supposed to be a part of my life. No, I'm supposed to be a part of your life. I appreciate so much this couple and who they are to us, but you're always praying, Lord, what do I add back to them? Because relationships two-way street. If it's one-sided, it's, it's wrong. It won't work. There's a giving and a receiving. So through that revelation, entered into a relationship with Pastor Bill Wilson. So he came back every year and did another meeting, did another meeting. We really got connected. We started talking about, are we going to do something in the Philippines? And finally, the Spirit of God said, gave me an unction on the inside. I, I began to see, we need to do this. We need to do this. And yeah, all right, we'll do it. We'll do it. Because you either got to do it or quit talking about it. Yeah. You know, talking and with, with nothing more than just intention, with no desire to follow through, because sometimes people just get happy talking about stuff. If you're not going to do it, just quit talking about it. So we're sitting there one day, and he goes, look, we either need to do something, or we need to quit talking about it. The Spirit of God said, yes, amen to that. I said, all right, Bill, we'll do it. I'm now, I've been friends with Bill, part of the board in the Philippines. I'm also on the board of Metro uh, World Child Ministries internationally. They reach 325,000 kids every week. It is the largest outreach to street kids in the world. 
There's no other ministry like it in the world. You get a revelation, you enter into a relationship. In that relationship, it gives you the ability to carry out God's purpose. We went down to Tondo, which in, in Smoky Mountain, which is the uh, one of the top two or three most densely populated places on planet Earth. It's Tondo, a place in India, and a place in Bangladesh, most densely populated places in the world. It's the nastiest, dirtiest place you can imagine. The average size church down there is anywhere from 40, 50 people or more. That's it. Because of the relationship and working together with Pastor Bill and going down there with Metro, we have outreaches of children anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 kids at a time. Out on the streets. They, they, they live on the dump, in the dump. They live under bridges. And we get 1,000 to 1,500 of these street kids that come together with a controlled environment, learning about Jesus and the presence of God is there. It's amazing. Through that... Now we have a church in Tondo. Like I said, the average size church is 40 to 50 people. New Life in Tondo is over 2,000 people. There's a three-story building. It's kind of built in, in a square that was owned by a Chinese businessman. But because it's in the poorest place of the city and the nastiest, dirtiest place, school shut down, could not continue. Nobody's going to go down there. It's too dangerous, and it's right next to the city of Rats. That's an area of apartments and places that are built, but it's just, and the reason it's called City of Rats is because it's known for the size of the rats and the just there's thousands of them. Down there, rats eat cats. Cats don't eat rats. Cats don't want to go down there. You die. And you, and you can tell when you get down there because you'll begin to see these young kids or teenagers that are missing half a nose, half an ear, or, or gaps in their cheeks or their chins where when they were babies, the rats came into their bed. And if they had food or milk on their mouth, it would just begin to chew on them. That's where this building is located. Before the owner passed away, he told his sons, whatever you, you, any of my properties, do whatever you want with the properties, but that one building, do not sell it. It's for the kingdom. If anybody will ever use it, you let them use it for the kingdom. So we went to him, Herbie went to him, said, we want to renovate some of this building. Will you allow us to use it for a church? Because the church continued to grow and grow and grow. And, and, and it just, there's no place down there big enough. And, and the warehouses always are getting broken into. And it's just, it's just, it's just dangerous, just a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And they said, if you'll fix it up, you can rent it. He said, well, we want to get a lease. He said, I'll give you a 25-year lease, no increase in the price because of what our father said. So we renovated it, air-conditioned it. It has an LED wall that they paid for. In the building fund, as they were raising money, this, this Lola, Lola is a, is a grandmother, she was walking up to the front to put her money in and for the building fund, and she put in 500 pesos. And Pastor Herbie went, went over and he goes, Nana, I, I, it's like mother, it's an elderly term, endearing term. Nana, you, 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 can't, you can't give that. She looked at her pastor and she goes, yes, I can. Because he knows what she does. She peels garlic in, in, in the market. And you take a 30-pound bag of garlic and you peel it so you can sell it. You make 50 pesos. So for her to give 500, no, it's a 50 pound, 50 pound bag. So for her to give 500 pesos, she would have to peel 10 bags. The 50 pesos a bag to get 500, that's 10 bags, right? 10 times 50 is how much? What's 10 times 50? 500. 
You're going to peel 500 pounds of garlic. And you're going to give all of your proceeds to your building fund. That's not anything left for you or your family or your rice. That's why when Herbie saw that, he wept. The strongest giving church of any New Life church in the Philippines is in Tondo. They outgive our church, not even close. When COVID hit and, 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 and then there, there was a fire, well, first of all, in, in Tondo, they didn't shut anything down. Social distancing in Tondo, that's stupid. That just don't work. And besides that, Herbie goes, COVID is not coming to Tondo. It's afraid. Our germs down here are meaner. <laughs> he goes, man, we deal with cholera, dysentery, malaria every day. COVID, that's just one of those easy diseases. COVID looks at Tondo and goes, I ain't going down there. He goes, we never stopped having church, no social distancing. And then there was a big fire and a bunch of places were burned. And, 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 and they have places where people can come and drop off their offerings for the church. And, and Herbie took those back and the people got mad at him. So, Pastor, you, you removed the, the, the places where we could give. He goes... Man, you guys lost your houses. You lost everything. I'm not, we're not, no, we're not going to be receiving anything from you. We, we want to do everything we can to help rebuild. And he goes, no, 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 no. You've always told us that our future is based on our giving. What kind of future are we going to have if you don't let us give? These people just lost everything and they're mad at their pastor because he took away their opportunity to give. I have Herbie come to my church so he can preach in my church and teach people what real giving is about. Relationship. We're, 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 history is being made. What's happening in Tondo right now has never happened in the history of Tondo. Never. Talk about relationship. When I was in Bible school, I was getting ready to go to the church one day. I would go to church, go to school. Spirit of God, say, take some money, put it in an envelope. I'll show you who to give it to. It wasn't a huge amount. It was 20 bucks. I'll show you who to give it to. So I go to school, and I'm walking up and down the aisles in between classes. I'm going, whoo. And finally, right before the end of school, I see this guy walking down, long hair. He goes, him, he's the one. Give it to him. Give it to him. So I gave it to him. I said, hey, you don't know me. I said, but I came to school today. The Lord told me to bring some money into school, and he'll show me who to give it to. You're the one. He goes, oh, bro, you have no idea. I said, wait, first of all, calm down. <laughs> it's just $20. <laughs> It's not hundreds. I'm not paying your tuition. It's just, it's what I had. And he said, I want you to give it. He goes, no, no. He goes, we're in the parking lot this morning. I can't, we have no gas. I have to get to work and, uh, and, 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 and get back to school tomorrow and then go to work, get my paycheck. And, he, and so we told the Lord, Lord, we have to have at least $20 today. I said, bro, maybe you should have said more. I don't know. <laughs> you asked. Here it is. Here it is. He goes, oh, man, I can't thank you enough. Well, we became good friends. He would take me out of the streets of North Tulsa to do things that I'd never really done before. This guy could preach to anybody. His name is Jeff Perry. And he would take, we would go out on the streets and preach to pimps and prostitutes. We would go to a place in North Tulsa called Kane's Ballroom. It is notorious for, I mean, it's just crazy. One of the wildest places in the north side of Tulsa. And we pulled up one night, and we're out there, and we're passing out tracks. And there's a, about 15, 20 bikers up there. And these guys look like baby dinosaurs. I mean, they're... And uh, so Jeff walks up, and he starts passing out tracks to them. And this big guy just slapped it out of your hand. He says, go away, little man. I don't want to talk about your God. And Jeff looks at him and goes, what's wrong? Are you afraid to listen to what I have to say? And I thought, oh, we're going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm never going to make it to the mission field. I'm going to die in Tulsa. I'm going to die in a parking lot. And he just looks at him, fearless. Are you afraid to listen to what we have to say? I said, we who? You're the one talking, bro. I'm just standing here. <laughs> 
And he looked at Jeff and he goes, little man, you got some spunk. Go ahead. What you got? He didn't preach long. But when he was done, he said, now bow your heads so I can pray for you. And every one of these baby dinosaurs, gorillas, and their arms were the size of my legs. They put their heads down. Jeff prayed for them. A couple of them came over, gave Jeff a hug, said, thank you. Nobody ever talks to us like that. I'm thinking, well, how, how do you want to talk? <laughs> and Jeff taught me how to go down there. and used to go into the different bars down there. And God anointed me one night to play pool in a gay bar. A black gay bar full of brothers. You, did I look funny walking in there? I put my quarter on the table. I wanted to play pool. Well, I wanted to preach. And they looked at me and they said, if you ain't playing pool, you can't talk, just leave. I put my quarter on the table. My turn came, I started playing pool. I could not lose. I had angels knocking balls, and I'm telling you, <laughs> I am making shots, things are dropping, and there's like 15 or 20 quarters lined up, and they said, somebody beat this white boy. Somebody get rid of because as long as I'm talking, I'm preaching and sharing the love of God and loving on people. And you know what? Before long, when I'm done, and nobody ever beat me. Finally, I just said, can I talk to some of you? They said, man, you, you are nuts. Do you know where you are? Yeah. So we sat down at a round table. And so Shadi came in looking, and she goes, are you done yet? <laughs> no, not yet. You know who, who brought me in to be able to do something like that? Jeff, he added something to my life that, to, 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 to take me to another level of compassion and boldness and confidence. And, and then later on, he saved my life. I was in Takloban. One of our pastors had died. And I was going to fly home because Jeff was coming in to, to visit us, visit the Philippines. I've only been waiting 20 years for him to come. But finally, he was going to come to the Philippines. And so I told Shadi, said, honey, why don't you stay down there for the weekend? You know, you just bear, you're, a lot of the pastors from these two islands, you're there with all of your pastors. Just stay. And I said, yeah, I think I'll do that. And uh, uh, our pastor from this one city goes, you know, pastor, they're saying that we're going to have a storm come in. And if it rains... You know, if, we, if it's a bad storm, we don't know how bad it's going to be, but if it's a bad storm, they might close the airport. And if they do, then you won't be able to fly back to Manila for at least a day or so. Well, uh, Pastor Jeff, this guy, was coming in. He pastors a church in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, he's coming in. You, when you've been waiting on 20 years for somebody to show up, you, you need to be there. And Shani said, honey, just stay. I thought, yeah, I'll stay. But then I thought, well, if it's, if it's bad rain, you know, maybe I, I should, I don't want to miss Jeff. I need to be there when he arrives. So I'm staying at this really nice hotel by the bay. Looks out at the bay and the water. And I thought, man, it'd be so great to fellowship. But on the inside, I just thought, no, I just need to, I need to be there for Jeff. 10 o'clock that night, the storm came in. It's called Yolanda. 65,000 people died. My hotel room was underwater because I'm facing the bay. 20-foot tsunami came into the city. Ships that were in the city came through, destroyed buildings, and were deposited inside the city. The wind was 200 miles an hour sustained winds. It was devastation like you've never seen. Outside of a angelic intervention, I would have died that night. I had a great room. 
with a view of where the tsunami was coming from. <laughs> but I would have been asleep. But I had to be there to meet someone I had a relationship with. He saved my life. Or God would have done something, woke me up, I don't know. Revelation, relationships, purpose. And all of it is to bring heaven into our homes, into our families, into our lives, into our city, into our community, and into the nations of the world. That's why the church exists. Think about when, even in the Lord's Prayer, when, when, he, you know, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. All right, pray in this manner. Our, what's that? That's relationship. You pray on basis of relationship. Not just God, our Father, who's in holy, hallowed, to be praised, honored as your own. Your kingdom, your will be on as it is in. So he said, listen, through relationship, you come into this place of prayer so you can bring the will of heaven into the earth. That's what revelation does. That's what relationships do. And that's our purpose. Your pastor, every time he's teaching and preaching, is to do what? Bring heaven into your home. Yeah, we want to bring heaven into the city, but let's bring heaven into our homes. Let's bring heaven into our marriages. Let's, let's bring the principles of heaven and the, and the love of God and, and, the, and the miraculous. And So much for those notes. <laughs> I knew I was going to get there. That's, what, that's why we're here. Bring heaven to Galveston. You know, Pastor Rusty was telling me about the tragedy that recently happened with some young teenagers dying in an accident. What did God do? He brought the comfort of heaven into a school. You have a meeting that's coming up next month. What's, what's God going to do? Heaven's going to invade the school. See, it's not just who we are, it's who we know and it's who we have relationship with. And we are the avenue by which heaven comes and begins to manifest. Every prayer you have about revival is what? An outpouring that finds its, its origin in heaven and it comes into the earth. It's an outpouring of heaven coming into the earth. But you see, we can be a part of that because of revelation and the relationship. And then we can walk in the purpose. And the purpose is heaven coming into the earth and changing our part of the earth. Well... I could go on and on, which I remember one time I did. <laughs> That's enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. and That there's something here that people need it today, that they take home with them. Thank you for the revelation of the truth of your word, of who you are to us. Let us understand who we are to you. And thank you the relationship we not only have with you, but the relationships that you're adding to our lives that make a difference, that bring strength to us, and we bring strength to others, where we share life together with people. And for being planted in a church, those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. Because in those relationships, we get to carry out heaven's purpose and heaven's will. We find some of the greatest fulfillment we could ever enjoy in life, walking out the will of God, enjoying the will of God, finding a great joy and fulfillment and peace and a prosperity that floods into our life because we've participated in what's important to the Father's heart. And we do it with one another. Thank you that through our relationships and relationships, our lives are enriched, made bigger as people add to us and we add to them. Thank you for the nations of the world that this church is connected to, where great change is taking place. History is being written in different nations of the world because of the prayers from this house, because of the generosity and the giving of this house. People in different nations of the world are staying and not giving up. They're not quitting because of the prayer support. They're able to do things because of the giving. There's a standard of living that increased in their life because of what comes from this house. 
and all that flows out of this house, you take it and you multiply it back, that this house will never lack. This house will be full and flow with abundance. I thank you for pouring out heaven into Galveston. Invade this island with an outpouring of heaven coming into this portion of the earth that as they have sown, they shall reap. Thank you for these people here today. Thank you for every home, every family, every relationship. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.